Welcome to Willoughby Hills. I'm Heath Rosella. Episode 114 of my podcast today. Welcome. I'm excited to have you here. Brian Ruhlman is my guest. Brian is a really interesting guy. I know him through the Boston area food scene. He's a hot sauce maker, and he hosted a podcast for a long time about hot sauce. So we're going to be talking all things hot sauce today. So the reason that I wanted to have Brian on besides the fact that I love his sauces, is I love the way that he has been able to build community through his hot sauce. He works with local farmers to source the ingredients, and not just the peppers. I mean, every part of his sauce is coming from local farmers, which I just think is awesome. And you can taste the difference. There's a lot more flavor to it. But Brian doesn't just have these relationships with farms. He has these relationships with the retailers, where he sells his sauce. He has these relationships at farmer's markets. And because of the farmer's markets, I think he has a direct relationship with a lot of his customers too. So over the last six or so years, crack has gone from this kind of small thing to this pretty big thing, I think, in the Boston area. Like I get excited about it. And the other thing that interests me about Brian is that he's not afraid to experiment. He's always trying something new He's not somebody that just offers, you know, the same three things year after year. There is always something different on offer from Crack. And I love that. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot lately about intentional communities. I talked to Kim John Payne a few episodes ago, and my wife turned me on to one of his podcast episodes recently, where he was talking about, like, in the old days, you were kind of stuck with the community that lived around you. A lot of that was family, but, you know, people in your village and things. And if you didn't agree with them, if you didn't like their take on things, you risked starvation, you risked exile. And that's no longer the case these days. We have the choice to be intentional about our communities and how we want to live our values. So that's something that Kim John Payne talked about recently on his show. It's something my wife and I have been talking a lot about. And it's something that I think Brian embodies as part of Crack Sauce. And the other thing I like about him is that he is always learning Even before launching Crack Sauce, he had a podcast and a website called Craft Hot Sauce, which is still out there. And you can go listen to these episodes. I've listened to a couple, and and I think it's a great show where he talks to hot sauce makers from around the world and just gets their take on how they do things, why they do things the way they do. And again, he turns it all into a community. He's knit together all these different hot sauce makers all around the world, all these customers in the Boston area, all these different farmers. It all comes together. And you just get this amazing flavor and you can taste the story behind it. So really excited to talk to Brian. Stick around for that. Uh, it's It's a great conversation just about what it takes to be an entrepreneur and specifically what it takes to focus on community over commerce or maybe with commerce. You know, it's an and, it's not an or, but it's not commerce for the sake of commerce. It's commerce to build community. And that's really important to me right now. And I think it's worth talking about here briefly, too, just because this has been on my mind. And if you read my newsletter, you know where my head is on this. But I have not talked about it as much on the podcast. And I know there are some people that that only listen to the podcast. So I feel like it's worth talking about before I get to the interview with Brian. And that is just that I am uh, feeling distracted lately, feeling uneasy, feeling sad, feeling angry just about everything that's happening over in the Middle East. I mean, on October 7th, when Hamas attacked Israel, obviously that was that was horrific. But then for the last two months, we have been watching in real time on social media and on, on some news outlets, not enough. You can see up close what is happening in Gaza. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. And I feel at times hopeless. And I feel at times like some of the silliness of this podcast and newsletter just aren't worth putting out into the world right now. So that's something that I have been struggling with myself and just thinking about what does it mean to keep this show going? What does it mean to keep the newsletter going? All of that at this time where there are really, really serious things happening. And I think it goes back to that point of just intentionality that like, We have a chance here now to choose our fate in the way that we didn't 
generations ago. There was a time when we had to accept a government narrative and we had to accept a media narrative because that is how society worked. And I think social media has changed that dynamic. I talked with Taylor Lorenz about that a few episodes ago. I think being able to see in real time, on the ground, what regular Palestinians are dealing with. It's not unlike the anti-war stuff that happened around Vietnam by having TV reporters and, and you know Life magazine photographers and things alongside the troops. It's not unlike how CNN came to prominence during the Gulf War by having reporters there covering it 24-7. I think the difference now, though, is we're not seeing it from a combatant point of view. We're not seeing like the official army embed point of view. What we're seeing is the daily reality for people who just happen to live in the Gaza Strip. And I think that is the difference. And it's what motivates me is just watching death and murder, not just of innocent people, but often of innocent children. Small, small kids, kids my kids' age and younger. It's the same feeling I have when school shootings happen and, you know, when Sandy Hook happened and a bunch of little kids get murdered. And you have to question what was their future? What would their life have been? And I see myself asking that of the, uh, the Palestinian people as well. So, again, you can read more in my newsletter, heathrasella.com slash newsletter. I've been writing about my feelings about all this for the last two months or so, but I just feel like I needed to address it here on the podcast as well and just say none of this is normal. None of this is right. And it's difficult for me, frankly, to to do these interviews the way that I normally do when so much of that is in the back of my head. But I also know that people tune into this show Years later, I mean, there are shows from three years ago that people are still listening to, like this week. So I don't want to make it just about that, but know that I am thinking that way, know that I am feeling that way, and know that, you know, if the newsletter and the podcast aren't what you expect right now, that's a piece of it. It's just, it's challenging to do regular things. And if you're not feeling that, I want you to think about that. Just why? Why? I also just want to say, if you are interested in social activism and trying to build a better world, I'm also part of a new podcast behind the scenes. I'm producing it. I'm not on mic like I am on this show, but Here for the Kids, which is a group co-founded by Syra Rao, who was a guest on my podcast a few months ago. This group is focused on abolition, the abolition of fossil fuels, the abolition of guns, the abolition of systems of oppression around the world. And I have been working with Syra for the last month or so on launching a podcast for Here for the Kids. If you go search for Abolition, Liberation, Solidarity on any podcast player, hit subscribe, get on that feed as well. The nice thing is those shows are alternating Thursdays with Willoughby Hills. So if you like this show and you wish you had more of it, you can listen to here for the kids on the alternating weeks, the off weeks here. Abolition, liberation, solidarity, now streaming on all your favorite podcast platforms. And check out my newsletter, heathrasella.com slash newsletter. I publish twice a week, every Wednesday and every Sunday. And if you want to upgrade to a paid membership, you will get early access to the podcast as well. So consider doing that and supporting the work I'm doing here. All right, that was a heavy intro. It's a heavy world we're living in, and I'm trying to figure out how to keep doing the thing I'm doing while also acknowledging what's happening and figuring out that dance. And the best we can do is be intentional about what we're doing, build community, and work with each other rather than working against each other. And that's what Brian's doing with Crack Sauce. So let's have a fun conversation about hot sauce. Let's think about how we can build community in our own life. And let's think about what it really means to be in business. Is it about making money and being the richest person in the world and owning rocket ships? Or is it about bringing other people along with you and making a space where everybody feels welcome? I like the latter. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm trying to do that here with Willoughby Hills. And I think Brian is trying to do that with Crack Sauce. So here it is, my conversation with Brian Roman. I want to start with Holy Fiddlehead uh, because I've got a bottle of it here. And I just, I, I feel like the best way to start this conversation is to just read off the ingredients, if you'll indulge me here. So, so, so. so there's uh, what, three or four different types of pepper, shallot, rice wine vinegar, onion, F-word farm scallion vinegar, carrot, scallion, garlic, lemon juice, fiddleheads, cucumber, garlic scapes, ramp, leek microgreens, salt, dill, brown sugar, mustard microgreens. It's like 15 or 20 (laughs) different things in there. Um, When I look at a bottle of Tabasco, I see three ingredients. Like what that tells me, I guess, is that you're a bit of a boundary pusher um, and that you're somebody who you're an artist, I guess, too. That's part of why I want to talk to you is that you you take your hot sauce very seriously and are willing to take it in directions that most people might not think of. So tell me just, I guess, let's start with the story of Holy Fiddlehead, because I feel like it's kind of emblematic of of the whole crack business. Sure. Yeah, it's, it started the first time I tasted Fiddleheads, which was I think like 2021. Um, I was at the farm market at mill number five in Lowell and Justin from North of Boston, he brought them to the farm stand and I was like, whoa, these, these are cool looking. Like what's the deal? He's like, buy these, blanch them and just fry them up with some butter. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like I'll do that. And I tasted them. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like this flavor is just so interesting. I got another, uh, next week I got some more fiddleheads and then just tried this crazy recipe where we were, uh, we have stinning nettle kind of in my backyard and my uncle was talking about how making nettle tea. And so we kind of made like a nettle tea infused with green chili, uh, Thai chilies. Uh, and then I went foraging with my friend Deanna and Emily from effort farm. We forage ramp and there is also mustard oh i'm blanking on oh like wild mustard yeah yeah i know what you're talking about it's the it's like an invasive plant that uh, it's there in the springtime exactly you can make like a pesto or whatever with it yeah yeah so yeah we we overloaded it and it just like came out really crazy and and so i was like oh that was fun and interesting and this is not gonna be (laughs) something we we bring to market but then uh next year i i went again with that crew to do some more foraging and and i was just kind of thinking like how these ingredients and flavors are so springy earthy allium forward and and how could we preserve that and put that into a hot sauce because people like really have a deep connection with it from people from i've especially met people from maine that like really love fiddleheads also people in new england with ramp um, but i've heard all these stories from people so yeah that was um sometimes like i feel like without me having a formal culinary background I tend to overcomplicate things and throw a lot at it, um, which is kind of our style. I, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. So it was actually, we had to kind of scale that back a little bit from that first experiment, but there's still a lot going on that way. Um, this year we changed a little bit more. Um, there's just some things that are going to be different year to year. And so we, we wanted to kind of still have that deep allium earthy flavor but this year um some of the peppers we added blister chichitos we did daddle peppers which we were growing for the first time uh, which bring kind of a nice citrusy heat and uh, we did pickles added kind of pickles just because there was like a pickled element with it and so we kind of did pickled cucumbers with the microgreens and some of the f-word farm vinegar and yeah we're really pleased with how it came out I guess I should clarify too for people listening outside of New England that don't know like most of the things you described outside of the peppers they're a very specific window in the spring mid spring yes. you can only get these things and most of them aren't cultivated they're foraged like you have to go out yes. and know what you're looking for in the woods or you know in a backyard or whatever it's not something that most farms are producing so like fiddleheads and ramps and all of that are things that people really crave but you only get like three or four weeks at the most to taste them. So like in preserving it, right. you've, you've kind of got this this springtime <laughs> in a bottle, which is awesome. But yeah, like that idea, I guess, of putting all these things together, as you say, you don't have a culinary background. Like as a commercial producer, 
you have so much space, so much time, so much money that you want to see a return on, right? If you're setting aside an area to ferment this holy fiddlehead, that means that you're not making other sauce potentially. Yes. And if it doesn't work out, that means you're not selling (laughs) all of that. Like if it doesn't taste good, it tastes amazing and I'm glad you did it. But like that takes a leap of faith to invest in that and to, to see that process through that a lot of people, if the bottom line is the only thing they're worried about, they're not going to to take those chances necessarily. We've kind of stumbled upon our limited edition series and every limited edition we've done, we've learned so much. And I think it's also what our customers really come to love us on. Sure. I know, Heath, we, we connected through this limited edition hot sauce with Clark Farm. Right. Clark Farm, at the end of the season, they just had kind of a surplus in peppers and some other produce and they asked if we could do a collaborative hot sauce and we just mixed what they had and and <laughs> kind of said like i hope this tastes good like yeah. we did a few things at the end to kind of tweak it a little bit and i was actually just talking to one of my best friends who he has tasted every single sauce that we've done and he just said i think clark farm is my favorite ever yeah we're, we're not going to be bringing them around all the time. Sometimes we do one with called the Merrimack Black, which is a collaboration with Navigation Brewery. They release this black pepper porter every Thanksgiving. And Emily, who we've collaborated on some vinegars with with F Ford Farm, they take that vinegar and there's just like there's three parties uh involved with the collaboration, even in the artist too, Andre K. Mills. It is just not possible to have that year round. So yeah. it's kind of like with the seasonality, um, that's nice. But there's also some things that we're actually thinking of a little bit outside of hot sauce that we would love to kind of build it into a staple, but it might totally flop because you know, people have no idea what a, a mushroom ketchup is really. Interesting. Well, I mean, and that's part of it too, I think, is that I think a lot of people think of a hot sauce as a condiment. It's something that you sprinkle on top of, you know, your eggs or your tacos or whatever. And it's like an added flavor or maybe an added heat element. But part of Crack's focus has been around using it as an ingredient, using your sauces as an ingredient as opposed to a topping. I guess tell me about that difference in mentality. And if like as you're developing a a mushroom ketchup or something like that, does the idea of sauces or other things as ingredient play into that and and how do your fans react to that it's trying just to teach people how i use it um uh-huh. in that every single meal i'm putting it into things yeah like this morning i had some i made some leftover chili and i i mixed that with kind of eggs and in that process i kind of just throw in a dab of hot sauce and kind of mix it all together so it kind of just like spreads evenly and what I've I've loved learning more about cooking and what acid and vinegar can bring. Uh, it can lighten. It can bring out more flavors. And so, hot sauce is actually a really good tool in that piece. Is that it brings acid to a dish. Mm. And there's also, um, I'd say, with our Brian Brews curry, that one's actually my favorite one to cook with because there's like turmeric, lemongrass, galangal, these Scotch bonnet peppers. They're they're just very rare, potent ingredients that are fermented and just have it's it's like using a spice or salt and pepper but just a lot of flavor so a lot of people they think tacos they think eggs they think burritos but it's so much more than that it it takes a little like that's why we love doing so many farmers markets uh, is that we're engaging with people talking about what they like to cook how we like to use it i think just person by person we're trying to kind of share ideas and educate people how to I guess, become a a better home cook, but also use more hot sauce. (laughs) Which helps them, uh, you know, develop this skill, but then you sell the sauce as well. So it it benefits you guys. Um, You mentioned earlier that hot sauce was not necessarily your training or background or, you know, you didn't go to culinary school. Like, I'm curious just how you found hot sauce and sort of prior to that even, like take me back to what you thought you were going to be when you grew up and sort of the path that you were on before founding the business. So I was actually working for the Celtics, my first job out of college. And I went to UMass Amherst and did sport management and really wanted to be in the sports business. And I think around that time, like I, I got the entrepreneurship bug, I think like 
junior or senior year of college. Yeah. There's kind of the, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss that I, I think kind of a lot of people my age just were kind of, it just really resonated with in terms of being kind of a vagabond and having uh, a business that kind of can generate a, uh, a lifestyle and income overnight. So I think that kind of plugs some ideas. And to me, that is so far from the reality of what I've experienced, but <laughs> kind of a year into that job with the Celtics, I somehow a uh, recruiter reached out to me. To, uh, they worked with HubSpot and they're like, oh, we're opening off, up an office in Dublin, Ireland. I see you went to University College Dublin, which was just a semester. So I, I she she really did some deep uh, LinkedIn creeping. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but right. I was like, yeah, I, I have my Irish passport. So I, I was able to uh, work abroad in the EU without a, without a visa. And then that was a really entrepreneurial environment. And they actually make so it's a, a kind of you, you create a website, you create an email newsletter. They were really big about inbound marketing and blogging, creating content to educate, attract new visitors, and they wanted you to start your own kind of website and kind of business, um, not like a real business, but just to like do it for a month so that you could kind of consult and sell yeah. uh, more confidently having gone through that process yourself. Just to so, learn those tools and kind of understand how they all work. Right. So my dad's always had a garden and, and the month before I left for Ireland, we were started harvesting these ghost peppers and I, and I bit into one and I just remember like just this heat that like started from my mouth and just like went straight to my stomach and to my head. Yeah. And I was just like drooling. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, like, this is insane. And I was like, well, what am I going to do with a hundred of these? Yeah. There was kind of a farm, Hutchins farm that had uh, some pumpkins in harvest and, and my dad always roasts pumpkins. So we roasted up some pumpkins, some pineapple. Uh, we were also growing some habaneros and these ghost peppers. Yeah. It was kind of like kind of making a, a spicy soup. I had really, um, I actually have the recipe saved, um, which kind of turned into our first sauce as the golden pumpkin, but I had tasted it expecting it to taste kind of not great because I had no idea what I was doing. And I was like, whoa, this is this is different. Yeah. And that kind of just stuck with me that there's so many different directions you could go with. Yeah. And so I started this HubSpot website um, about hot sauce and the domain crafthotsauce.com was available. And in that month, I, I had to cold call people because I didn't really know what to write about hot sauce. So I was just talking to different people from all over the world. A chef in Berlin who just does this for creativity to somebody in Argentina that does live fire cooking and also the creator of the world's hottest pepper, Smoking Ed. Um, and that was before he was like classified as the the Michael Jordan of growing hot peppers in, in 2013. So everybody was super gracious, giving their time and sharing their stories. And I just decided just connecting with these people and having just kind of an interest that was pulling me. And also I think in the back of my head, thinking about being an entrepreneur over time, I just kind of continued a, a podcast and newsletter. So that's what's really inspired me behind Crack Sauce is just kind of the people, the cultures learning about cooking. And yeah, so I, I kind of owe it to all the, the people, the conversations, the community within hot sauce, cooking, agriculture, farming that's really inspired and kind of built the base for us to, to grow upon. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I think it's worth mentioning craft hot sauce is still operational. And I mean, you, you, it's a marketplace for crack sauce, but also people can buy other craft hot sauces on there. And you have this podcast, we've talked to other, other makers. Like, I guess what I'm interested in too, is just how you've been able to build a community around hot sauce. And there's a very strong fabric here in the Boston area that you've been able to kind of knit together between customers and farmers and retailers. But then there's also this kind of worldwide network <laughs> that you just alluded to of like learning from people all across the globe. Like what have you learned about just what it takes to develop a community or maintain a community in doing this process? I, I think it, it's having a one-to-one -one conversation with somebody yeah that was definitely the podcast is just I, I i couldn't fake my interest and just <laughs> i think everybody comes from a different background and story and so i was just genuinely curious and interested in that and and really enjoyed sharing that and also i think 
I enjoyed the process. I, I used to hate writing. Yeah. Like I'm dyslexic and and like the SATs English. I was just like, how am I going to get to college? <laughs> like I was fine with math, but like I just like hated it. Yeah. And then suddenly I was just like really enjoyed writing, and it just like because. I could see myself getting better. I could feel like a voice coming on. Was it the subject matter too? I mean, writing about peppers. Yeah, it was definitely definitely the subject matter. Interesting. Um, And also just like that I didn't have a prompt. Yeah. It was just like you could write two sentences and really think about that or you could just like have a cup of coffee and just type for an hour. Yeah. Just express yourself. What are you thinking? What Exactly. Yeah. So, so I think I was so open with that because of that project prompted me to just like share this on the media channels, get your newsletter. And then I think people really saw that growth over time. So that, yeah, I I think that's what has really kind of helps with the marketing piece is that we have thought about just being authentic, sharing what's going on behind the picture, because that's what's resonate with people. I think they love our hot sauce, but they also love that they know what goes behind it and that they know about the farm or the local shop and restaurant that serve it. And and, and those people too lo- love that too. Like Gormley's Cafe, they, they were the first people to sell it. And more people hear about us from Gormley's than any other place. Yeah. Um, not because they're the biggest restaurant in the Merrimack Valley, but because when they get their food, they're like, oh, and do you want to try our local hot sauce made in Lowell and and they do, they do the pitch better than us uh, when we do it. Yeah. Oh, that's that's, that feels pretty special. But at, like when I look at like the farms that you source from, or even like I was just thinking, I've bought your sauce at farmer's markets directly from, from you and your team. I've bought it at Concord Market. I've bought it at Deborah's. I've bought it at Assabet. Like there are all these local stores. Like I kind of take for granted how readily available it is. But each one of those is a relationship that you had to forge, right? Like it, you don't have a distributor yeah. that like there's one guy that can just call and it's in 20 places. It's like you're going to each and every one of those store managers or buyers or whatever and saying, hey, here's my story. Here's my deal. Let's partner up. Exactly. We've tried to think about the places that kind of fit the values that we think are important. And I also don't know if this that is the best method of distribution but <laughs> okay. um like uh no i, I no i think it, it absolutely is but like it's a hard way to make a living and and we're not there yet for kind of doing that with our team yeah. and everything so we, we need to grow more but i, I feel like I, I i really like the style of slow growth in that whenever we're in a, in a pickle or we need something they know us and we have that direct relationship. And I think that's also what day to day, there's like some things that give you a big headache, but my favorite pieces that kind of charge up me and I think our crew too, is just like that connection with us cooking in the kitchen. It's just like, sometimes when things are so chaotic, you're just like, okay, I'm in here for the next six hours and we're focusing on caramelizing onions, throwing the right recipe and tasting everything. You just get really kind of stuck in. And then same thing with like visiting a shop. It's like, you might have been stuck in traffic. It might have taken you two and a half hours to like go from Cambridge to Brookline. But like <laughs> you see the manager that you've known for so long and they, they tell uh, actually, yeah, there, there's one of those days like uh, we were at Baco's Fine Wine and Cheese in Copley and they were like, were you involved with the scavenger hunt? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. They're like, I guess the company did a scavenger hunt where they had to get a bottle of the golden pumpkin uh-huh. and suddenly there was just like 10 employees like coming coming in but somebody like bought out all the golden pumpkin and it just it's just like i just love in hearing those stories and, and I, I guess that could help happen if you have a distributor but it's it just having that extra personalized connection is why we did it the name behind our product means a lot to us with good crack and, and it is having those in the moment conversations and relationships yeah i mean i think not to compare you again to Tabasco, but just like another big hot sauce company like that, you know, there is a brand recognition there, but there's not a personal story. There, like when I pick up this bottle, like I know your logo, I know you, 
there's artwork on here by a local artist. There's, you know, farms that I go to that are, that are in the ingredient. There's, there's so much more. And it's not to say that's not there with another hot sauce maker necessarily, it is. but I certainly it is. don't know those stories. I don't, I don't feel that same connection. Um, so that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, I want to back up a little more too, because we were talking about just Ireland and HubSpot and all that, like in that time then, or, or soon after, I guess, I, I want to kind of get to the founding of crack and we've been talking about sort of your growth, but like when it started, when you actually decided I'm going to found this business, it was, it was kind of a side hustle at the time. It wasn't your full-time thing, right? Like what, what were kind of your yep. initial goals with like, I want to do this. Where did you think you would be in a year or two years? I don't know if I even thought about that. <laughs> uh, in fact, it felt very uncomfortable. I feel like it was the past year that I really thought hard about what is it in two years? What is it in five years? Yeah. And it's uncomfortable and scary to think about. So in 2017, it was, this is fun I have friends and family cooking. This is I have no pressure to make income off this. Yeah. It was really for the crack. But it, yeah, in the last couple of years I, I it has I've had to think about what what is this next year? What is it this year and kind of leases and longer term vision and the rest of your life kind yeah. of yeah, come employees into your like people are counting on you now to pay yeah. their rent or their food or whatever. Like it's there's a different responsibility there than when it's just a hobby, right? Yeah. But yeah, it was, um, when, when it started, it, it, it was really great because I didn't feel like there was much pressure and, and we didn't have to go fast. Like I, I see so many hot sauce companies cause they come through craft hot sauce and they, they have an awesome Kickstarter. But then when you have like $40,000 to spend on stuff, you can make a lot of mistakes with, typos on bottles or having a bad kind of co-manufacturing relationship and so yeah i i looking back i didn't think too much about like kind of our our speed and growth and everything but i'm really happy that it was relaxed and slow and and it kind of um over time we figured out what we really like and what customers like and and having time to kind of build those relationships what was the difference though between like doing this as a hobby because you're still working full time when you launch crack like yes. it could have just been a fun thing that you did and handed out as as holiday gifts or you know whatever shared with friends like from the beginning it's been a business even if it wasn't full time at first like why that distinction as opposed to just I'll do it for fun and you know see where it goes yeah it it was definitely that entrepreneurial drive in me. I, I love learning every single day, especially now. I yeah. feel like every single month and quarter and year, there's like a new challenge and goal. And I, I look back on myself and this year, I think it's been a lot of kind of management and leadership. And I think I've grown a lot in that area. And there's still so much more to work on, but yeah. like, I, I just love that fast-paced environment and, and trying to hire people that fit that mold of good crack and and get a different background. And I think in my time in Ireland, like our team that I worked on, we were 16 people from 10 different countries. Wow. And that team was just incredible crack because you had uh, Babo from, from the Netherlands and then uh, like... Uh, Miguel from Spain, and and then the two Americans that were kind of made fun of all the time, and I it was just like it was just like I, I love the the team camaraderie and, and being able to build that. That's what really excited me, and what I I wanted to start a business is because I felt confident that I could learn and build a a good business, but do it like do, build in an environment that you can control and have a good time doing. Right. So. So that, that, that's been, that was, I think, the vision to start. And also what I'm really proud is kind of still consistent through, geez, six, six years later. Wow. It's funny too, and talking about like starting at the Celtics and thinking you were going to be in sports management, because part of what you're describing there to me sounds like putting together a team. 
you can't just hire four really good centers, <laughs> you know, like you need a good center and then you got to look at it and say, but we, we don't have a good point guard. Like we got to have a, we got to have a point guard. We got to have someone who can dunk, you know, it's figuring out all those pieces and how everybody's individual strengths play off each other. Like that's what makes a strong team. It's not one person who can shine on their own. Right. Yeah. I've never thought about that analogy, but I, I think that is spot on because yeah, that, that I like, it was Theo Epstein. Yeah. Like when I was like, Red Sox won right. when I I, I was a, a fortunate child with all the the <laughs> championships uh, in Boston, but um, that's what like I, I wanted to kind of like build a team and and I, I think that just joy and excitement that you got from Boston and even the world through those championships, um, I think that's what fueled my interest in that. I think yeah, as you say that, I, I see a lot of similarities. It's like there's a finished product, but it's the the passion that goes behind it it's not without its challenges every day yeah um in terms of working with local farms and things like that's a piece i think that distinguishes you as well that you have these these strong relationships with local growers and are bringing in really high quality ingredients like we do most of our um shopping through local farms as well just because you can taste the difference i think and and in feel case. healthier often eating that in stuff. Case. But again, like in thinking about it from a business standpoint, a lot of people might not justify that added cost or think that it's worth going that extra mile. They would just buy, you know, California peppers or Mexican peppers or whatever that come through a food distributor. Like, was that an intentional choice from the beginning? And if so, why? No. It started like when we were growing peppers in my garden. So I kind of knew it was pepper season. Yeah. And then we started sourcing from Hutchins Farm in Concord. And then the next year we we sourced uh, from my other couple local farms. And I just kind of like knew what we would do from the garden. is like we couldn't process everything. So we would freeze it. Um, and then I started fermenting it. And so it just kind of like in the back of my head, there was just like the seasonality of it. And then we kind of started doing it more. And then as I got into more of craft hot sauce, I could just taste the difference between our sauces and some ones that just like people went to restaurant depot and kind of put everything in a, in a pot. So I, I tell everybody now it's no secret that our differentiator is the produce. Um, I think there's a few other things as well in terms of kind of our cooking styles and fermentation and and the mix of ingredients, but that is something we've done is a hundred percent direct from farmer peppers since we started. Yeah. And there's a lot of other ingredients like beets and ginger. It's crazy with some of the stuff like golden beets are just like a dessert. Yeah. And it just, and, and that's what I think really differentiates the product. So, so that's something like as we've, evolved and like i've seen the challenges of a business i'm just like wow like this is nothing compared to farmers in terms of like how much physical effort goes into it how much nature can just swipe your plans yeah. off for the whole year or two especially with or, peppers in in this climate like yeah we, you know they take a long growing window and we don't really yeah. have to, you know if you miss that you're kind of screwed here. And I was just thinking about orchards this year when yeah. there was that cold snap in February, right. like there's no local peaches and um, stone fruit around. So I've thought and, and just grown to respect farmers so much more, just seeing everything that they do. And so I, I feel like it, it's our responsibility and commitment and just to have a great product, but also to support local agriculture because I think it's it's scary kind of thinking about just the what the state of the world economy um agriculture the food systems out there I, I think it's so if something devastating was to happen like the the more you can invest in local agriculture throughout the world and also thinking about just not shipping stuff across seas and everything um that's a a big focus for us i, I don't think we're gonna play a big part in that but I think every dollar that goes back into local agriculture um, plays a, a really great investment for your community. Yeah. 
And I mean, that piece of, of understanding what a farmer's up against, you started this by gardening in your dad's backyard, but this year, I think for the first time, right, you've actually grown, you, you have a small farm where you're growing your own peppers and things to go into your sauce. Like, talk to me about that shift of buying from local producers to actually becoming a producer yourself. Yeah. So that was all in collaboration and really support with Mill City Grows. Uh, they're a urban agriculture nonprofit in Lowell. Yeah. Uh, they've been around for over just 10 years now. So they gave us like a 20 by 20 foot plot last year to grow. Uh, and we, we did like a hundred plants there. Um, this year they have a farm plot in Lowell uh, that they've been growing on for eight years. And we had a 40 by a hundred foot plot. So we did uh, 250 sun gold tomato plants uh, that uh, go into our sun gold tomato sauce. Uh, we do a kind of a limited run of a kind of a pasta tomato sauce, and then uh, that also goes into our curry sauce. And then we grew like 20 different varieties of peppers, about 400 plants. And then uh, UMass Lowell also they have a greenhouse that is managed by Mill City Grows that. We were able to start all these seedlings from seed in the greenhouse. And we also actually grew some peppers on the UMass Lowell Leary Library rooftop garden. Wow. So um, we kind of made a kind of a UMass Lowell edition of our Mill City Red oh, nice. that we, we just uh, are releasing now. So we sourced about 1,500 pounds of produce from those plots, which is about like 10% of our annual sourcing um that we and we do all our sourcing from like august to end of october so we we think we've sourced enough for the next year and then we'll kind of talk with farmers in january to do our plans and so that's what we're thinking now um if we have the same space again next year i really think we can double our production because uh we didn't trellis our tomatoes and it was just like for like the first three weeks are like, wow, this is like a lot of work, but we're getting so much yield. But then we did trellis one section and we saw that like, that was a lot healthier. So there's so much learning to it. Like I couldn't even think about like what it it is to operate a real farm, but yeah. And I think that's something I need to watch out for a little bit is just like, I love throwing ourselves into trying new things, but as things get bigger, like there's a real cost to that in terms of physical toll, financial. And um, we we did try to see if it was like financially viable for us to do it. And we kind of just broke even without like spending money on like farm equipment and even a lease and everything. So it's definitely not easy. um, And so we'll leave it to the professionals, but it's still (laughs) something that um, I'm always interested in, in learning more and improving upon. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, like we talked at the beginning of this about experimentation and trying different things and, you know, different recipes and things. But as you just said, like the seasonality of what you're doing and by buying locally, you only have a set window when certain things are ripe. How does that play into your ability to experiment that like if you get something wrong, it might be another year before you get another chance at it (laughs) and like trying to remember what did I do? last year that messed it up and you know how do i fix that for this year yep yep knock on wood but we haven't had any like real catastrophes with our produce and methods yet which is great um we definitely had some like kind of close things that we've had lessons for future years that we've implemented it's not really much of a formal process but a lot of times i like to kind of do an exercise of just thinking if i could just think back to every month. If I could like start that month over, what are some things I would have done differently or kind of three months before? I don't try to think too much beyond that yeah. because it, it, you might kind of not remember the things as if they were. I mean, for production notes, we, we take a lot of notes on all our batches, all our fermentation, ha- have records. It's It's what we need to do to have a kind of up to the books when we get inspections and everything, but we also add a whole nother layer on that so we can do that. Um, when we do limited edition sauces, a lot of times we try like three different variations of the sauce. We do like one that we think is going to be like way too hot or like <laughs> Allium Ford and, yeah. and then one that's like mild. So we can kind of 
hit the middle and everything. But this year, yeah, we definitely got some produce that we don't have know what we're going to do with it yet. <laughs> um, but that's where like we had some extra produce and we just met these people that wanted to do a collaboration that kind of uh they were going to be definitely contributing kind of a new angle to that and, and it came out with a kind of a really new product so by getting some extra stuff that you don't quite know what you're going to do with um just in case we start selling a lot more um it's nice to have something that we could try to kickstart um in the year sure uh, I want to ask you on the business side too, like you ran a campaign earlier this year uh, to crowdsource uh, some funds. Uh, I think it was to buy a delivery vehicle, right? Yes. And also some kitchen equipment okay. as well. Um, I've seen a lot of small farmers, like Fat Moon Mushrooms just did a similar fundraiser and like a lot of small farmers are turning to these kind of crowdsource platforms to raise funds. I'm curious just as a small business if there are challenges to getting kind of conventional funding or just, I, I guess, how the crowdsource piece plays into the larger financial picture and why that seems to be something that, that a lot of farmers and small producers have been turning to lately. That was a grant with MGCC. And so if we raised up to $20,000, which we did, um, that was actually double matched by MGCC. And we had we got $60,000 to invest into equipment. So we wouldn't have done that. Like we kind of bootstrapped this from, from day one and thinking about just how we can improve and, and hopefully get more profitable each year. But when I have kind of in the last year or so turned into the bigger picture, there's like some big investments that need to happen at a certain time. So we thought this would be a really amazing opportunity to invest in some equipment that can help us kind of take a little chunk out of what some of those bigger investments would be in in the future. Like I totally understood that like the state wants to invest into businesses that can get people interested to put a hundred dollars into something and and they're going to get so we, we had gifts and everything but it was definitely people that were very generous um and contributing to us uh they don't have a, any equity in the companies it, it, so i think it was cool just seeing that like we're employing more people than we ever have before we have plans to uh, invest more into agriculture hopefully get our own facility build that out and so th- they're they're trying to do that with companies that can get some buzz and and invest into that. So I think o- overall, I think the state is going to come out more than that in terms of like the taxes we pay and, yeah. and also the, the local um, stimulation. But so I, I think it was kind of a cool opportunity to see that. But absolutely, there's a lot of expenses that go in as you're kind of building through every single stage. So it was something that we, we fortunately didn't, don't have to kind of turn to al- alternate methods and, and there have been a lot of kind of state programs and also programs around agriculture that are trying to subsidize and help growth in, in those areas. So there, there's a lot more that we could look into around kind of value-added producers and uh, local agriculture. So th- that's something that it's it's hard. It's not the easiest method. Like it's cheaper to get peppers from elsewhere, but there are programs and that are trying to incentivize people like ourselves or other young farmers to invest into their own growth. Yeah, for sure. Um, And as we've been talking about kind of through this whole conversation, it's about building community as well and building some resiliency locally within our food system. I guess kind of wrapping it all up, like you mentioned profitability there briefly, but it has not been (laughs) one of the through lines of this conversation by any means. Like, you're a business owner, you're, you you run a business, but I feel like so much of, of what interests me about what you're doing is that it seems to be so much more about just sharing your passion and building community and building this network and that kind of the profitability comes secondary. It comes as a result, I guess, of that relationship building. For a lot of people that are starting their own small business they can often get so focused on like quarter to quarter and just, you know, how am I going to make money that they lose sight of that bigger piece? Like kind of to wrap it all up, I guess, what is some of your 
pieces of advice for somebody that wants to start a small business or maybe is is in the early stages of it like you were six years ago? How do you make a sustainable business <laughs> with all these pressures that you know come from internally and externally, I guess? Yeah. I think there's a couple of ways to think about it. There's a reason why you did it. And so I think that's always going to be the driving force. Um, some people do it to get rich. And and maybe if you are doing it to get rich, you should really focus on the monies because maybe that will make you happy. But for I think for the majority of business owners that I've encountered in my years doing this, there's a more intrinsic reason for that. So there is the reality of having to make money. So I, I think being able to tr- focus on that, trying to get y- your base set up so that um, you can stick around more. And, and there's a lot of hustle around that. It's just like so many, far- we've done so, so, so many farmers markets, almost like over th- uh, 350 this year. Wow. Um, and that's how we are profitable. Otherwise we would not be. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot, you're going to have to hustle, but the reason why we did this was around the relationships, the the crack, the connection with with people. So do a lot of that. And maybe those passions will kind of change and evolve over time. But I think as hard as it is that there's, you get to do what you love. And sometimes when you do it in an extreme, it, it can be exhausting, overwhelming. But I, I say that's my advice is just trying to go slow and steady slow and steady wins. Um, and also if you're doing what you love every day, um, even though it's not every day, you're on a good path. All right. Brian Ruhlman there. He has an amazing business and I am just, I'm so proud to watch his growth over the years and to see what he's built and how it all comes together. Check out Crack Sauce if you're in the Boston area, C-R-A-I-C Sauce. You can also go to crafthotsauce.com. You can order crack sauce on there. You can order mixed kits with other people's hot sauces as well. And you can listen to Brian's podcast, the Craft Hot Sauce Podcast, if you're interested in that. I publish a newsletter twice a week, every Wednesday and every Sunday. Go to heathrasala.com slash newsletter to get on that list. It is free. You'll get notified of every podcast episode. And if you'd like to support this show, you can upgrade to a paying membership and you'll get early access to the podcast as well. I'm at Heath Rosella on social media. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being you. Go live your life. Go be good. Be safe. <laughs>